This is 105.9 The Region, and you're listening to Discovery, the radio show for podcasters. Your content, unfiltered. This is Discovery. It's time to tune in. Produced by the broadcasting students at Durham College. Airing on 105.9 The Region. This is DC Broadcasting. Hi, I'm Parker Quinn, and welcome to Talking Movies. Today, we're going to be talking about the history of the superhero genre. Westerns were the big box office juggernauts of the 1950s and 60s, with films such as High Noon and The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. But now, times have changed. If you were to ask any superhero fan what movie really launched the genre, a huge majority would say that it was 1978's Superman the Movie, starring Christopher Reeve and directed by Richard Donner. The release of Superman kickstarted the genre and also launched three sequels, although only one of them came close to the success of the original. Previous attempts at adapting superheroes was through television, including Adventures of Superman with George Reeves, Adam West Batman, and Linda Carter's Wonder Woman during the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Tim Burton released Batman in 1989 after Warner Brothers saw how successful Superman was, and like Superman, Batman was followed by three sequels, and only one of them was close to matching the previous film's success. Following DC's success, Marvel attempted to adapt their own characters. Blade started it all for Marvel in 1998, which is an amazing year because that was the year I was born. Blade was R-rated and followed a vampire-hunting superhero, which was something no one had ever seen before, with Wesley Snipes playing the title character. There worse things out tonight than vampires. Like what? Like me. X-Men and Spider-Man followed afterwards. X-Men brought iconic actors Hugh Jackman and Patrick Stewart to play their characters, and Spider-Man, on the other hand, became the second highest grossing movie of all time at the time of its release. Although these films were meant to be one-offs and not necessarily meant to set up sequels, each of them did receive their own franchises because of their success. With Spider-Man continuing on with two successful sequels, Spider-Man 2 and Spider-Man 3, and the X-Men films growing more and more to make a total of seven films, plus some Wolverine solo films. The Blade franchise, however, dropped in quality. Maybe I don't see it that way. And unfortunately, only had three films when others were expected to be made. The failure of 1997's Batman and Robin led to Warner Brothers wanting to reboot entirely. The idea was to start fresh with a new director, new style, and new actor in the superhero role. That film was Batman Begins. Insomnia and Memento director Christopher Nolan helmed the film and attempted to make the franchise grounded and more realistic. Christian Bale replaced Michael Keaton, Val Kilmer, and George Clooney as the title character, the Cape Crusader himself, Batman. I'm Batman. Following the release of Batman Begins, The Dark Knight was released and was often looked at as one of the greatest superhero films of all time. As a matter of fact, not just that, one of the greatest movies of all time. Batman Begins was the first of a trilogy, continuing on with The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Rises. This trilogy will also go down in history as one of the greatest film trilogies of all time. The plan to reboot Batman was successful as many other superheroes ended up getting rebooted, such as Spider-Man for his Amazing Spider-Man films, Superman in favor of Man of Steel, and The Punisher multiple times. Reboots became somewhat of a tool for franchises as other genres outside of superheroes decided to reboot. Even James Bond got rebooted with Casino Royale, as well as Star Trek 
and Planet of the Apes. Apes! Together! Strong! The release of Iron Man started a new kind of superhero film, the crossovers. These crossover films always had upcoming storylines for future films and always found a way to set up their sequels. One of the strategies used to set up future stories and sequels was the end credit scenes. Although Iron Man was the first in its franchise, the idea of the cinematic universe really hit audiences with the release of the Avengers. Seeing iconic superheroes such as Iron Man, Captain America, Thor, Hulk, Black Widow, and Hawkeye leaving their own films and coming together for a superhero team-up film was unheard of and really brought magic to the superheroes on the big screen. The Avengers, my favorite movie-going experience ever, made it to the top of the superhero genre at the time. The Avengers' success not only led to more sequels, but also made a much bigger and grander cinematic universe by introducing characters such as the Guardians of the Galaxy, Ant-Man, Doctor Strange, and Black Panther. Cinematic universes can be tricky to make. The first big post credit scene was Samuel L. Jackson showing up as Nick Fury in Iron Man, telling not only Tony Stark, but the audience who saw the film that there was more to come and that this was just the start of a much bigger universe. Mr. Stark, you become part of a bigger universe. You just don't know it yet. Marvel's success at creating the cinematic universe led to DC creating their own extended universe. The DCEU was very different in comparison to the MCU. While Marvel did set up their sequels, they didn't make a movie with the attempt to make more. A film such as Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice, the sequel to Man of Steel, was created just to set up a Justice League film. The DCEU was off to a rocky start, not nearly as successful as Marvel's MCU, mostly because they focus more on their future films and not necessarily the film that they are currently working on. The best way to make a superhero film is to make one, without any need to set up a sequel. Tell one story, and thankfully DC has now learned their lesson, and will now be focusing on the quality of the film, and not necessarily a sequel. Well, I guess that's worth a look. In conclusion, the superhero genre has really changed. In my personal opinion, I believe we should go back to what it was before the release of Iron Man. Make one film and see if it can be successful on its own. By no means am I attacking the Marvel Cinematic Universe or the DC Extended Universe. I am a fan. But before the release of Spider-Man No Way Home, I decided to go back and rewatch the previous Spider-Man films. Not only did I forget how good those films were, but they were simpler films that had a beginning, middle, and end with no intention of setting up their sequels. Whether you like it or not, the superhero genre is here to stay and it's bigger than ever. While I do find some joy in seeing hints at upcoming sequels and future films, I do miss the simpler times with one story and that's it. If you know me, you know I want to be a filmmaker, and if I were to ever make a superhero film, my hope is to focus on one film and not rely on other films to set up my own. I hope you guys enjoyed listening to Talking Movies. Thank you guys for listening. I'm Parker Quinn. Have a great day, good night, and good news. You're listening to shows produced by the broadcasting students at Durham College, here on 105.9 The Region. What's going on, everyone? Welcome back. My name is Justin Atkins, and today we're going to be talking about the biggest news so far in sports in 2022. 
If you did not already know, Tom Brady has announced he is coming out of retirement and will be returning to play his 23rd season in the NFL as a member of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I'm very excited because I'm the biggest Tom Brady fan you'll ever meet and I did not see this news coming at all. Tom Brady announced via Instagram and Twitter that he will be returning to the Bucs because he has quote unfinished business. Now I'm really hyped because last time the Buccaneers were in the playoffs with Tom Brady, they did not end up winning the Super Bowl. So I'm motivated to Tom Brady is all I want to see this September. Now I want to take you guys back to this past weekend where Manchester United took on Tottenham Hotspur in the English Premier League and now you guys are probably wondering why is this relevant to Tom Brady. Well Brady was actually in the stands to watch this game and it was a very entertaining game you know. I'm a big Manchester United fan and we won 3-2. Cristiano Ronaldo scored a hat-trick and uh, yeah Tom Brady actually linked up with the Manchester United squad after the game as well as he had one-on-one time with uh, Ronaldo himself and Ronaldo appeared to ask Brady he's like quote are you finished and then Brady kind kind of winced up he kind of cringed he was kind of like you know gave off vibes that he didn't know if he was done or not and then the following day just 24 hours later he announced that he was coming back to the NFL now a lot of fans are speculating making little jokes and memes saying how oh Tom Brady saw Cristiano Ronaldo tear up the Premier League at 37 and decided to come back and now I think that's a really that's an awesome story if it is true however I do believe that Brady did know he was coming out of retirement before then however it is just a nice little quince that you know the goat of the NFL and the goat of football or soccer whatever you want to call it did link up this weekend after a historic performance from Ronaldo now the last time we did see Tom Brady on an NFL field he gave us one of his best performances I would say that I've ever seen as he led the Buccaneers back down from 27 to 3 to tie it up at 27 against the LA Rams now sadly the LA Rams would end up winning that game thanks to a late field goal as they would advance to the NFC Championship by a score of 30-27. to 27. Now this was really sad for me and all of Buccaneers fans as well as all of the Patriots fans because you know we're big Tom Brady supporters so it was just not a good look that they had came back from 27-3 and then sadly lost. Now if Brady was to go out that would probably be the perfect way to go out you know he gave us one last hurrah one last Brady comeback that we've been so used to seeing for you know two decades now but it just wasn't enough so I thought honestly that was it I thought you know he went out in a blaze of glory I felt like it was just a perfect ending because I didn't really want him to lose in the Super Bowl to retire because I didn't really think he would retire after winning because he always said he would retire after he you know wasn't good at football anymore but honestly he should have won MVP in what would have been his final year so I really thought Brady was done but after 40 days the GOAT was back now he did announce via Instagram and Twitter that he would be returning to the Buccaneers. So now this poises the question, what do the Bucks do from here? Well, so far in their offseason, they have sadly lost two of their star players in Alex Kappa and Ali Marpet. But going forward, you know, they could still keep some of their stars who are without contracts. There are two players in mind who I do want to talk about quickly and first of all that is star running back Leonard Fournette. Now Fournette was brought in at the back end of uh, two summers ago to help the Buccaneers you know get that nice little depth in the running back department and honestly he did have a slow start in his first ever regular season with the Bucs but come the playoffs he was a monster getting the nickname playoff Lenny. He really did lead the Buccaneers to that Super Bowl championship on the ground you know he was lethal no defense could stop him and he even scored a touchdown in the Super 
rule. So Fournette was definitely a big part to the Buccaneers championship aspirations. And I think now that Brady is staying, I think he'll want to stay with Tom because there was a lot of rumors that Fournette was going to leave. He maybe was linked with the Buffalo Bills, could have went there. He was linked with Brady's former team, the New England Patriots. But Now that Tom Brady's back in Tampa Bay, I do see Leonard Fournette staying with the team. I think once they sign Leonard Fournette to a deal, they need to put all their focus now on Rob Gronkowski, the second player who I do want to talk about. Now, Gronkowski was Brady's running mate back in New England, where they won three Super Bowls together, establishing themselves as one of the best one-two punches in NFL history. And then Gronkowski would retire. But once Brady made the switch to South Florida, Gronkowski followed suit and came out of retirement where they won a fourth Super Bowl together again. Now, in my opinion, it might be a hot take, might be biased, but I think Tom Brady to Rob Gronkowski is the best combination in NFL history. I think any team that has both of them is just, you know, I just think that they're the favorite to win in the end, honestly. So I think if they could get Gronkowski back to maybe play one more year because he is out of contract, I think that would be a huge boost to their offense because he does bring that veteran presence and I think once the playoffs come he is that key to victory and you know it really showed when they did win the Super Bowl how effective he was as he did score two touchdowns in that Super Bowl championship game with him and Tom Brady's combination looking better than ever. Now, I think once they focused on getting Gronkowski and Fournette back on the team, I definitely think the Buccaneers should make some more offensive moves, especially in the wide receiver position. Now, they do have Chris Godwin and Mike Evans, who are both Pro Bowl caliber receivers. However, last time out, they did have Antonio Brown, who in my opinion is a top five wide receiver to ever play the game but he's no longer with the team. So I think they should explore the free agency market as there are some notable names such as, you know, Allen Robinson of the Chicago Bears who still doesn't have a contract. And I think he would be a great addition for the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers as well as Marquez Valdez-Scantling of the Green Bay Packers who might be hard to pursue because I know Aaron Rodgers does love him, but I think the, the Buccaneers should do something in that market because replacing Antonio Brown is a hard task, but I think if they're able to get someone sturdy and solid, that could play the slot then I think they will be set I'm really excited to see what Tom Brady and the Buccaneers do this September because honestly last year I just feel like they were one win away from the Super Bowl because I think they would have easily cruised by the 49ers if they had to play them in the NFC Championship game I think they would have decimated the Bengals in that Super Bowl so it was really unlucky what happened last time out but I think Brady this time is coming for blood he says he has unfinished business so I'm really excited to see what they do and hopefully Tom Brady can win another MVP because in my opinion he was robbed last season. Now, I think that's going to do it for me today, guys. Thank you so much for listening. You know, I'm really excited to see Tom Brady come back, and I hope you guys are too. My name is Justin Atkins, and have a good one. That's all the time we have this week, but tune in again next week when we have more shows produced by the students at Durham College. This is 105.9 The Region. Do you have an idea or a podcast to share? Send it to us here at Discovery, the radio show for podcasters on 105.9 The Region. You're listening to the Millennial Balance Podcast brought to you by 105.9 The Region, exclusively part of our Discoveries block. I'm Shaliza Bacchus. I'm Afua Ba, and I am feeling chipper because spring is almost here Yay. and I can't be more excited. We're happy. We're happy. Yeah. We had some beautiful weather a few days ago. Mm-hmm. Not too bad now. It's just... It's, it's ish, but you know what? I'll, I'll hang with it. I'll deal with it. It's, it's, it's not it's, minus 25. And it's not 30 degrees centimeters of snow. 30 yeah. degrees centimeters of snow. <laughs> Ha 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 ha!
I swear I'm Canadian, folks. I swear. We Let know me try that again. Trying. It's not 30 centimeters of snow outside. Okay, don't judge That's me. Okay. I'm just so excited that spring is coming. Exactly. We're excited. And we're excited for lots of things, yes. actually. And there is a brand new show on Netflix, mm-hmm. which we're all excited about. And even more excited because it has to do with food. It has to do with baking, which I know you love. Yeah, I love baking. I yep. love cake. I love cupcakes. and I love eating them. Everything in between. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, today we are joined by April Julian, who is a contestant on the Netflix show, Is It Cake? And I feel like I need to say that very dramatically. But April is also the only Canadian contestant on the show. So what's going on, April? Hi. It's all good. I'm happy to be here. Shouts out to April, representing Canada on this brand new show. We love it. And you know what? It's just so cool to see the representation and just what you're doing. Um, But we're not going to steal your shine. We want to let you talk. But before we get into the show, can you let us know a little bit about yourself? I (laughs) am a baker in Toronto uh, with a very uh, specific skill set, as they say in the trailer of the show. Um, that landed me a spot uh, on this incredible platform. I'm super excited about it. Did I also, if I read correctly, but did I also read that you're uh, an educator? I am. This is actually my hobby. My full-time gig is uh, as the director of education for the Canadian Civil Liberties Education Trust. Oh, uh, sorry. The education arm of the CCLA. Okay. Oh. Oh. She's not just your average elementary school teacher over here. Hit you with the title like bam, 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 bam. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, and she bakes too. Get it, girl. (laughs) You know, it's funny because uh, The Guardian is calling this show the show that might rescue 2022. So, April, can you tell us why that is? It's madness. It's a delight. It's like a roller coaster of emotions. Um, I don't know what it is about cakes that look like other objects, but it just, people go crazy for it. And I think the show has a lot of heart as well. The contestants uh, really genuinely like each other. The judges are nice. Mikey's awesome. He's hilarious. You know, it's just a really feel-good show. That, and considering all the madness that's happening in the world, it's, uh, as one article called it, cheaper than therapy. That's a good point. Uh, yeah. We definitely need some sort of escapism. <laughs> and why not have it in the form of a baking show? I love baking shows. And it's so cool. Like, I'm looking at, you know, the trailer for the show. I'm seeing a, sh- a, a cake that looks like a shoe, like a shiny old mm-hmm. sneaker. But I cannot believe mm-hmm. that that's cake. Uh, what other cool things have been created on the show? Oh, my gosh. So there was a theme for every episode. You know, fast food was one of them. Shopping the beach, um, garage sales. So it really is a wide range of weird objects that are being turned into cake. So this clearly being like a viral trend that's been going on for like, let's say during the pandemic, if you will, like how did you get into baking in the first place? And then how did you find yourself immersed in this trend? Because it's not sort of like, it's a popular trend, but it's a hard trend to get into. So how did you find that you, you know, you could do it? I've always, you know, listening to your comments at the beginning, I've always liked baking. I've always been into it. You know, uh, I wasn't a kid that had an easy bake oven. So instead, I'd take my mom's um, cake pans and roll up a bunch of towels and put them in there and pretend that was a cake. That's how it all started. (laughs) And then when I was allowed to use the oven, (laughs) I started making cookies and things like that. 
it wasn't really until like 2007 that I started getting into cake decorating. Um, that was before there was any kind of like, you know, cake competitions or mm-hmm. baking shows about de- solely de- dedicated to cakes. The hyperrealism part, one day I got asked to make a um, retro Jordan 11 uh, oh, Space Jam cool. pair of sneakers. And I was so excited at this challenge. My husband is a sneakerhead. And I was like, okay, I'm going to make this as real as I possibly can. And this was before the whole hyper-realistic trend as well. Um, it was just my appreciation for sneakers and my husband's that, like, really made me want to try to mimic it as much as possible. And it, it turned out amazing. And then I was hooked. I was like, oh, I guess I'm pretty good at this. <laughs> how long, on average, it might be sort of a novice question to ask, but, like, how long, on average, does it take to make, like, a hyper-realistic type of cake? Or does it all depend on, like, the intricacy and the difficulty of the design that's being asked? Oh, it totally depends on the on the design, for sure. One of the cakes that um, is... I've got a TikTok video. I don't know if you've seen it. It's going viral of um, some chicken wings. Yes! And <laughs> yes, I did see it. I saw it. <laughs> it's so gross. Uh, but that doesn't take, that doesn't take a huge amount of time because they're sort of small portions, of course. The time is really in the making the texture and the painting of it. So maybe, I don't know, I could probably knock that out in, if I really had to, maybe like two hours if I rushed. Um, but I take like, that's not including the baking time, right? Mm-hmm. So if we add the baking time, let's say four or five hours, compare that to, I made a, it pretty much looks like a taxidermied fish. It looks like a fish you'd see in the Smithsonian or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I had to build an entire structure so that it looked like it was pretty much, you know, swimming in a lake. Um, and that took a couple of days, actually, uh, from building the structure to baking the cake. And then, of course, like making the fish. April, I actually just came across uh, the little reel you posted of you making that Air Jordan 11 cake. And it looks so cool. I'm showing out for right now. So, Whoa. like, we see it uh, carved out. It's red velvet. Good choice. Yeah. And then it just turns into this this sneaker. It's crazy. Awesome. That's, that's if only insane. It were as fast as that, though, right? I know. <laughs> like, you could just uh, three frames and it's done. But uh, the majority yeah. of that is fondant, modeling chocolate, a little bit of both. That uh, was fondant, actually, which made it that much harder. Wow. Because fondant is unforgiving. That was a really, that was before, as I said, like hyper realism and knowledge of modeling chocolate was really a, a widespread thing. So. Yeah, it was, it was tough. <laughs> so you've been doing all of these cakes, you know, you're you're in it right now. You love it. And now you hear about this show. First off, how did you hear about the show? And then what made you want to decide to join it? Okay, so the story of how I got on the show is so random. <laughs> Basically, I randomly got a DM, someone saying, hey, I think you'd be great for the show. Do you want to fly to L.A. in the summer? And my immediate response was like, no thanks, scammers. <laughs> You're not going to get me. <laughs> and ignored it. <laughs> and then um, this lovely person just persisted and kept trying to contact me through my other social media channels and website. And finally, I was like, well, that can't be a phishing scam if they're targeting my specific now all the fishing mm-hmm. scammers are like, oh, this is how I do it. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so finally, I, was, and I called her back and she was like, oh my gosh, finally. I don't know how they found me, uh, but I'm so glad they did. 
That's so cool. And April, I'm actually just like, I'm, I'm scrolling through your Instagram page right now. You've got an adorable daughter. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think this is a conversation that a lot of millennials want to hear. You know, how have you been balancing? How have you been coping? Mm-hmm. And then being away, uh, doing the show, uh, being a new mom, how did you balance all of that? So I am, for some reason, able to function well on almost no sleep. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not much not a good balance but like I work in the day I take care of my kid and put her to bed um of course my husband and I take turns doing that and then at night I just put on an apron and you know craft away at at a cake it's a labor of love it's actually like my release because you know my job is always talking about serious stuff so it's kind of nice to like Mm -hmm. just use a different part of my brain and exercise my creative muscles um, in terms of going away to work on this show, yeah, you know, like my husband was like, I'll do it, you know, like go, go and don't even worry about Ava. She's going to be fine. We're going to be fine. He really encouraged me to do it. I was of course scared about that. Right. Um, taking some time away from, and she was so little, but yeah, he really pushed me to do it. Shouts out to the husband. I know we all need that support system. Right. Um, do you do you find that um, Ava's starting to like play with some of your 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 pans and like the fondant and everything and probably getting into it a little bit like you? Yeah, it's so cute. I always encourage her, no matter what I'm doing, to um, get in on it. This is something my parents always did. I don't know. I just felt com- confident trying to figure things out for myself and 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 doing stuff for myself. So um, I try to do the same for Ava, whether I'm making cakes or you know, fixing our washing machine or whatever. Like I, I try to get her in on the You can on, just do everything. Project. I don't want to like hire someone. I'm like, I feel like I can do it. Oh. <laughs> and then it works out. <laughs> April does it all. Yes. We're pitching the new Netflix show. <laughs> We're pitching show. that to Netflix. <laughs> yeah. And April, pivoting back to the show a little bit, I want to know what was your most memorable part of shooting the show without giving too much away and Possibly what was the most difficult part? So, like, who does that? Who gets to go, you know, flown to L.A. and, like, meet Mikey Day and a bunch of celebrities and have them look at your work? And I feel like I'm going to wake up one day and realize it wasn't a real thing <laughs> because it's just so bizarre. Um, but beyond that, like, the, the other bakers, I feel like I have friends for life, you know? Like, it's such a specific skill set, as I said to find eight other people in this world who like totally get it is such a gift. Like it, it was so fun. It was so great meeting them and I'm still in touch with all of them. Hopefully we get to have a reunion sometime soon. Oh my God. Every challenge was so hard. I'm not used to baking and making these things in such a short amount of time. I mean, it's several hours, but like even eight hours is not a lot of time when you're making this kind of stuff. Um, and to do it under the spotlight with cameras in your face you know, knowing that it's going to be on this international platform on Netflix, it's a lot of pressure. Um, and in trying to perform at your best, highest level under all of that pressure was intense, really, really intense. I mean, kudos to you. I know. I can't even imagine, like, you know, not only trying to bake under pressure, but like with a camera in my face, too. Like, for audiences to come and scrutinize so and see. I know. That's true, too. (laughs) Um, If you have any, like, advice just to sort of give out to, like, bakers who are, you know, novice bakers, aspiring bakers who are trying to sort of get into hyper-realism, what would you you tell them? 
in this place now that you've sort oh of God. like looking back now, now that you've had all this experience plus the show? You know, when I started, there wasn't, as I said, it, it wasn't the sensation that it is today. I really just was experimenting with things, trying to figure things out on my own, like using whatever tools I had available to me, making my own like makeshift tools to get the, the right textures and things like that. Um, you'll see some of that come off in the show as well, like just trying to on the fly come up with a tool that'll do the thing I wanted to do or make the texture I wanted to make. So, but now, you know, there's so many tutorials. There's so many ways to learn for free. I myself have classes and tutorials on my page and classes that I'm running in Toronto. So, like, if you really are interested in it, just just dive in. Give it a try. Find out people who are doing the kind of work that you like. Um, reach out to them and find out how you can learn. That's how I got started. Wow, that's so cool. That's some great advice. And maybe I might take you up on that. I might follow some of that. <laughs> You're going to see her at your front I don't door. know. I mean, I know. With Do all it. my baking supplies in hand, be like, teach me, please. Go make those uh, chicken wings. Yeah. Cake. Let me buy <laughs> the chicken wings first. I'll work on my recipe, <laughs> and then I'll come see you. How about that? Yes, yes, yes. All right, April Julian, thank you so much for joining us on this edition of Millennial Balance. April is the only Canadian contestant on the Netflix show called, I need to be dramatic again, Is It Cake? <laughs> which is now streaming on Netflix. But first, though, if we or if anyone wants to sort of hit you up on socials, where can they find you? Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, you can catch me on TikTok and Instagram and Facebook under April Julian Cakes. Simple. And we'll have that on our socials as well at 105.9 The Region. April, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Discovery, the radio show for podcasters, exclusive to 105.9 The Region. Expand your audience and extend your reach. Send us your podcast, info at 1059theregion.com.